Hey, everybody, and welcome to Democratic Voices. I'm Nadia Graves. And I'm Kyle Hudson. How are you, everybody? I just want to talk about how important it is to make a plan to vote. So statistics shows that if you make a plan to vote, you are more likely to go and vote. And so I actually already voted because in Pennsylvania, you could vote early with the drop boxes in mail-in voting. So everybody has access to absentee voting. We actually um, right voted on that on our referendums just a year before uh, <laughs> this pandemic happened and it happened to totally be convenient. Not that Pennsylvania uh, is any more prepared to have as mass mail-in ballots as other states. So please give everybody time to count your ballots. Um, without declaring anything, without being so stressed out, make sure that um, you guys remember that. But um, as well, we do have the option for mail-in ballots. So my voting plan has already been done. I voted. Um, and Kyle, what's your voting plan? Uh, I'm going to be dropping my mail-in ballot off at the ballot box down at the Chester County uh, Voter Services area. If you still have, if you're one of those people that reached so out for a mail-in ballot, so Kyle, sorry, before we talk about how to um, vote with your mail-in ballot, it's really important to have a full voter plan. So what time of day are you doing that? Oh, uh, so I am going to go at, well, I have to do some stuff in the morning. So I was planning on going around 10. Okay, so Kyle's gonna go, Kyle's gonna drop off his mail-in ballot at voter services mid-morning. That just as easy as that, Kyle now has a commitment that's on a schedule, like everything else we put on our schedule, and is now more likely to actually follow through with his vote. And so that's what it means to make a plan to vote. So um, everybody, we're just going to take like just a few, few seconds to be quiet so you guys can make a plan to vote. And then I would like you guys to just say your plan out loud so you can affirm it, put it out in the universe and follow through. And so... Kyle, can we talk about um, what it actually looks like to vote with the mail-in ballot this late? Because right today is November first, and it will not get to um, it will not get to. We're actually airing this. We're actually airing this the day before the uh, the election, so it's due tomorrow, guys. <laughs> today is November second, so you don't have much more time to mail it, but thankfully there's drop-off boxes at all the libraries in Chester County, or most libraries in Chester County. Um, and so we will link the list below of drop-off boxes and uh, the one in Coatesville is in front of the Coatesville Library. Um, and so yeah, Kyle, can you talk about what it means to um, have your mail-in ballot this late and not have gone to the polls yet? Right. So if you're one of the people who requested a mail-in ballot and either received it late or just haven't gotten the mail yet, obviously the election's tomorrow. You can't put it in the mail and expect it to be counted. So what we're suggesting is you fill out the ballot like you normally would. Make sure you seal it inside the blank privacy envelope then seal that inside the uh, other envelope and sign it. Um, that is the... Uh, that is the way to make sure it's properly filled out. Then you drive to and like- like. Oh, and don't forget to put your return address in the upper left corner because that's easy to forget and a ton of people have been forgetting that. Okay, yes, don't forget to do that. And then all you gotta do is take it down to one of the drop boxes. Like we've said, uh, we'll have a list down there below and drop it in. Uh, it should be counted. I did hear uh, from 
County Commissioner Mary Moskowitz that they are anticipating all of the votes that they receive in, on election day in Chester County should be counted by sunrise. So to, to Nidea's point, we may not know immediately on election night, this isn't gonna be like normal. The eyes of the entire country are going to be on the state of Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. we need to, which is also why it's so important that you get involved because we are, this is so important where we live. But yeah, be, you know, I'm sure you're stressed, right, Nadia? A little stressed out? Yeah, absolutely. And to, to your point, Kyle, people always talk about when they complain about the Electoral College, right? And as Democrats, none of us really like the Electoral College. We know that Democrats always win the popular vote and every one person should be one vote. Um, but people all the time complain about the Electoral College and it's like, yeah, some somebody in some rural state uh, has all these Electoral College votes and their, their votes are more powerful um, than, than other votes based on all these like things. And I'm like, that's like 100% true, but like we are the hypothetical state. Like that's literally right. Out of all the tiny states, Pennsylvania has like the most electoral college points, I think besides like the huge states like Florida, Texas and California. And we're just like some rural swing state um, that like we're literally the hypothetical that you're talking about. Like you yeah. as a Pennsylvanian have like one of the most powerful votes in that whole entire country. Especially um, at Chester County, Pennsylvania. I mean, there was an article that came out that highlighted like two counties in the entire state that what they, where they vote matters. We were one of them, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I don't know like, if you know this, I don't know if you know this, but in the primaries, millennials showed up at record rates. We voted in higher numbers than we'd ever voted in before. And I was talking to my neighbor the other day, actually just earlier today, and she was saying how, I'll believe it when I see it, Kyle. I believe it when I see it. But I, I am pretty confident that my generation, our generation is going to show up. And if we do, if we vote in the numbers that we can vote in, if we really put up, run up the score and we all show up, then no matter who wins, on November 3rd, the country is ours, right? I, I do firmly believe that our generation needs to start stepping up. And Nidea, you have been doing, you're, you're an inspiration to me as an elected official. You know, oh, you do you. so many amazing things. And, but, but the thing I think we've been trying to get through on the show is you can do this too, right? We need your help. We can't do this alone. This is gonna take, it's gonna take more than this one election. Right, Nadia. This is tomorrow. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but Tuesday is like the end of the beginning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tuesday like, is just one step in, right, in our arc. Um, and we've been in our arc for a long time. I know that, like, I'm a person who has been dedicated to fighting for the liberation of of all all people. Um, and Tuesday is just another thing we do as a part of of that arc right picking a president is not like picking a husband like you know they're not your favorite person the one they're not like this one person that that you want to be with for the rest of your life you are um you know, you know making a strategic decision about who you want to run your country for the next four years that is what that is what you are doing that's what you're asking for a say in and so um there are so many things that I'm right. I would like to ban fracking. I'm a Pennsylvanian. 
Uh, there are too many of my fellow Pennsylvanians that live near pipelines. I quite frankly don't understand why environmentalists and co-workers are not working together to demand that co-workers get moved out of an obsolete industry. Dangerous and job. A dangerous and, and obsolete. They know, right? The people who benefit off of co-workers' work, the people who are big oil, are squeezing all the money that they can out of these workers, and then they're going to leave them to be unemployed. Um, with no plan. And environmentalists know that they're going to leave our world to be destroyed <laughs> with no plan. Um, and I haven't quite figured out why as Pennsylvanians, we haven't said, okay, uh, we need to make sure that our co-workers and our energy industry workers get transitioned and prioritized, um, especially based on all the things that that made us um, an equal in salary when we rebuild these jobs, make sure we factor those things in um, and train them first priorities for these new green energy jobs. And then we do the new green energy stuff, right? The only people who would lose are the people who've already made billions from, from energy in the first place um, when we do that. But there's so much, so much that they lie to us and, and make us get divided and right and then we're stuck on a debate stage saying well i won't ban fracking right because i don't want to i don't want to piss off the co-workers um and right i'm a person who thinks right it's time we time we got real about this but i'm not voting for um joe biden because he's he's been real about environmental issues and labor issues concerning energy workers i'm voting well, for him say, he did say he that he um he was going to transition out of the fossil fuel industry yes he did say that. because of the work like the sunrise movement he said he went from the commitment being 20 2050 to 2035 uh which is admirable and i i i like that but I guess the point I'm trying to make is I'm not voting for Joe Biden because I want him to be my husband. I'm voting for Joe Biden because he is the best option uh, of the two presented for, for me. And that's, that's truly uh, right what election day is about. Well, you were, um, before we started recording, uh, you had mentioned some, a, a challenge that your friend had brought up to you. And I'd like to go through that with you. Yeah, yeah. So it was the right, think about, um, think about the person you were four years ago uh, versus the person that you are now. And right, this is directly because of the adversity um, of Donald Trump. So maybe we can just talk about, uh, talk about what, where were you on election day, um, Kyle, the day after, the election right you woke up and found out that trump was the president can you talk about what that day looked like i will never forget it um it was the day my political journey started uh literally like the day before the biggest decision in my life was like was it going to get pokemon sun or pokemon moon right like that's where my head was at on this time uh four years ago uh i just got final fantasy 15 i was stoked to get into that Right. That, that's, I, I had a radio show about video games and I was reading, I was catching up on Batman's new 52 run. And then I will never forget waking up on election day because I went to bed early. I didn't, I didn't stay up stressing or anything like that. And I woke up early and my wife was staring at the ceiling and I'm like, what's wrong? 
And she goes, he won. And there's this like, you know, beat. And I honestly didn't know what to do. Uh, it was so, because none of us expected it, right? We all thought Hillary was a shoe in This is, all, we were going to be popping champagne, celebrating the first woman president, right? So I went down to the Chester County Democrats office that day and they were closed. I'll never forget that they were closed. And I was like, what? Like today's the day we got to be open. Like I was so amped and so driven. And, um, and I just took my business card and I said, call me if you need me. And I slid it under the door and they invited me to the Demo Westchester Democrats meeting that month. Um, and I showed up and uh, it was, it, by the end of it, I was running for mayor of Westchester. And, and it was one of those things where like, if you told me I would be a former mayoral candidate who's working with the Chester County Democratic Committee, who's doing like, I've done uh, like deep canvassing online. Like I've been spending a lot of time, um, you know, talking with people on the Andrew Yang and Unity chat boards, uh, chat rooms, like on Facebook and stuff. Um, I, I was the congressional district leader for the Andrew Yang campaign in Pennsylvania to the point where I was, I was the guy cutting up turf across the state. I would have never thought that I was capable of doing these things, let alone having the, the success that I did have. And, and also how much it's transformed me as a person and like connected me to my community. Um, and so the, I am radically different from the person I was four years ago. And I think I'm a better person for it. And, you know, tomorrow is going to be a culmination of a very, of one of the longer periods of work in my life. And mm -hmm. I am like, I'm sure like a lot of people stressed out and, you know, hoping for that catharsis that we're all hoping for. But, you know, I understand that that's like, this is just the opening chapter. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, this is, I can't see myself ever stopping doing this, organizing, helping people get their voices. And I don't know, like when you brought that up earlier, I was just like, I hadn't thought about that, right? Like I hadn't thought about how radically my life had changed in four years. And mm -hmm. it is it is like shocking when you put it down on paper. I mean, how about you? Cause I know you had a very yeah. similar story. <laughs> so four years ago this time, right? I was, I had this, like I was working at, at a retail store um, a very, a retail store with a very like white and um, middle to upper class clientele. I had a friend, right, who um, was a, a Republican and a big Trump supporter. Um, and the day before election day, she dropped me off and I had this whole very condescending, mind you, because I just knew that Hillary Clinton would be the next president of the United States. Um, not that I was a big fan of Hillary Clinton, but you know, I was like chit-chatting with my friend, and the election had just put a lot of tension on our friendship because I'm like, girl, Donald Trump is literally saying he wants to ban all Muslims from being in this country. Um, and you're like, right, I'm your friend and I support Donald Trump. So this is just like a weird vibe. Um, so we need to talk about, we need to like talk about this. Um, and 
I totally was like, just such, so condescending to her. And I'm like, yeah, but right, no matter who wins, we're just all gonna have to be okay with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and election day happened. I usually don't work on election day because I had been, you know, working with the Democratic committee, just handing out, handing out like sample ballots on election day. Um, and right, I came home just ready to watch Hillary Clinton become the next president. And as states were coming in, it was like a Trump state and another Trump state. And I'm like, whatever, that's the South and, and that's whatever. And then I seen Pennsylvania turn red and I'm like, wow, that's uh, whew, odd. Uh, and then just like more and more, and more like what is happening? And, and I was like, well, they still have to count Florida. And my mom's like, it, they're like 97% done counting Florida. And I'm like, well, they, they have to count it. We'll see. And then boom, CNN projected that Donald Trump was the president. And I just sat there with my mouth agape. I came to work at my very, um, white store that uh that I came to work in to talk to to old white women who were uh mostly liberal there was like I said like my friend and just like a few other conservative conservative folks that that worked at my job um immediate direction from our manager immediate call call us a meeting hey you guys cannot talk about the election nor the election results you know and that's you know, on to do our work for the day. I had this super, super liberal manager because I, I was supposed to be in the back that day and I was very excited to be in the back because I did not <laughs> want to be on the floor at all. I had a very super liberal manager who was like, Nydia, uh, I just can't um, be on the floor today. I'm gonna open the boxes. And I'm like, mm, right, I am the only person of color here <laughs> the only muslim person as far as i knew the the only um queer person and i'm like yep the, put me on like that makes a ton of sense <laughs> and so i was like all right well you're clearly having you're clearly having a hard time let me go on the floor and i think at at that point in my life i was probably not even like i was thinking that but I think I was probably more like, oh, well, you're having a hard time. So let me just go ahead and, and, and do it. And no, no employees spoke, no, no customers spoke. Like it was just like, you could cut the tension in, in the room with like a knife. And after that, I was so unsure of what Pennsylvania would look like. I was so unsure of how my life would be changed. I had, I was so unsure of what my impact would be. Um, and I wasn't doing powerful work with the Democratic Committee, right? I was just, anybody could have handed, handed out uh, sample ballots. It, it, it's hardly any risk, risk involved. Um, the way that there's risk involved with running for office, the way that it, it can't be anybody, it has to be you. And like, I'm so sure um, this time, and last time I was very unsure of like, no matter what happens tomorrow, the next four years in Pennsylvania are going to be better than the last four years in Pennsylvania as a direct result of the people who decided to band together and rise up to a, a scary and tumultuous political moment. Um, and like, I'm almost 100% positive that the next 
four years in Pennsylvania, you are going to see the rise of progressivism, the rise of new ideas, the rise of Pennsylvania really stretching beyond its its old um, old ideas and old way and really getting what we need out of our Pennsylvania legislator. And, and for that, I can only thank everybody who has has risen to the occasion because I think we all have. And I think viewers at home can sit here as we talk about these stories and think about where they were four years ago and, and what they did and how they responded to to this moment. Yeah, you, if you actually, you can put it in the comments below if you have, if you want to share your story with people, um, we'd love to hear it. Uh, you know, it, it, you talk about holding office. Um, we actually do have an interview uh, this week. Now, I know, as we all know, Nidea is a city councilor out in the city of Coatesville, um, and you do amazing work, but there is other people our age out there, and <laughs> unfortunately, Nidea has been very busy getting out the vote. So uh, I alone sat down with uh, a uh, a council person from my town, Westchester. His name's Nick Allen. He's the representative from the second ward. And uh, I did a quick interview with him about what it's like to also be a young person uh, in, in politics. So let's, uh, let's run that. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, so I'm here with council person Nick Allen from uh, Westchester Borough Council. How are you, Nick? I'm good. How are you doing, Kyle? Good. Now, I, I've known Nick for pretty much since he got involved in politics. Uh, he got involved a little bit after me, but not, not too much longer. Um, although he has risen a lot faster. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he is currently a council person for the second ward in Westchester, home of the Melton Center. Uh, so, Nick, uh, tell us what it's like being a member of Borough Council. That is such like an overwhelming question. There like are so many different facets to it. It's um, it's interesting. So I guess I would say that um, I attended council meetings for like a solid year before joining council. So I thought I had like a pretty good sense of what things would be like, um, you know, when I was on council. I mean, it's very different because, you know, when you're attending a meeting and you're just in the audience and, you, you know, you look at your phone and you don't realize that maybe like five or 10 minutes have gone by. You can't do that when you're on council, obviously. So there's like, just like a sense of pressure that lasts through that entire meeting. That's like, I wouldn't call it intense, but it's definitely something to get used to. But um, I'd say the thing that's probably the most overwhelming right now is hopping into this thing and then having like the pandemic hit, we're having like all these like budget issues. Um, it's been a lot to like, I think it's a lot to understand how a municipal budget works normally. Um, but then when you throw all those other variables in there, it's like very overwhelming. And then, um, you know, I was hoping, you know, to build like positive rapport with council members. And I'm definitely not saying that hasn't happened, but it's been a lot more difficult because I haven't been able to just be with them in person and have those moments before and after the meeting where, you know, we can make small talk. It's like all business all the time. And that's, that's definitely been challenging. Um, but I'd say overall, if I subtract the outliers from the experience, it's been really rewarding, I would say, because it's, it gets tiring like being a citizen and being frustrated about things and feeling powerless. Um, 
but to be able to like step into like a council or a situation like this or just local government and like being able to you know get your hands on like the levers of power or whatever they are um and try to make the world better is like a really unique opportunity and that's why i do what i do um so i'd say like that's the thing that i enjoy the most and there are a couple of things that like i'm pretty proud of that i've done and there's a lot of stuff i still want to do um so hopefully i can get the opportunity to do that even though things are still pretty crazy right now but um well, well before we get into the things sure. that you're proud of why don't we talk about what is the job of a council person in Westchester. Now, I, I say in Westchester because it is different in every municipality. Right. Uh, so a council person in Westchester may have a different job than someone in Coatesville. Uh, so, but in, in our town, what is it that your job is on paper? And then what are the other things that aren't necessarily explicitly written down that is your job, but right. also are roles that you fill? So on paper, um, it's four nights a week on paper. Um, where, you know, like the, what is it? The second week of the month, there's our committee meetings. So there are six committees in the borough and each council person is assigned to three and they chair one. So I'm the chair of the act committee, which does like administration, communication and technology. Um, I'm also on the parking committee. So those are my Tuesdays. And then on Wednesday, I attend the finance committee meetings. So um, on borough council, we'll all, you know, we just, have our own agendas on our committee. And so like obviously finance is gonna look at anything to do with the budget or anything that has to do with spending, um, anything like that. So we will discuss items like that. And if there's anything that we need to pass along to full council that goes to the work session, which is the next week on Tuesday. Um, and the work session is one of my favorite meetings because like functionally that's where the committees come together and we get to talk to each other about um, like issues all over the borough that have to do with a million different things. And I think those are really fascinating because you really get a holistic view of what's going on in the borough through those meetings. Um, and then if there's stuff that everyone on council agrees with, which is probably the vast majority of the time, most things are pretty procedural, um, that gets put on the consent agenda and anything that we don't disagree or that we don't agree on or that we feel needs to be discussed more gets put on the discussion agenda. So then those two items, um, the consent agenda and the discussion items get moved to the Wednesday meeting where we can have like a more robust debate at the voting session on Wednesday. And, um, and the consent agenda is just the things, it like to save time in the exactly. voting session, you like bundle all the stuff that everyone agrees on, right? Exactly, yeah. And residents are... Of course, welcome to comment on those on Tuesday or Wednesday, um, just as a point of information there. But um, but yeah, it really streamlines the whole meeting and makes it a lot easier. Um, but yeah, like I said, most of the time it's like, oh, we wanna do like a parking change. It makes sense. We can just put it on the consent agenda and we don't need to have like a really big discussion about it. Um, but like if there's something that piques my interest and I'm the only one that's gonna be a stick in the mud about it, I can go ahead and ask for that to be a discussion item. And then we have to have a full discussion about it on Wednesday. And um, I consider that to be like the most formal meeting of the four. Um, that's when we give our council updates, um, the mayor will give an update. And um, I think that's where like you would most expect to see press is on 
a voting session night. Um, and that's really where like anything that's controversial in the borough that's gonna have a lot of stakeholders attending the meeting is probably gonna happen there. So that's where I guess you would feel like the most pressure or the most stress um, as an elected official. But what I will say is if you've done your homework, those meetings can be really fun because if you roll in and you have like a good idea of what's going on and what the issue is and you know what your constituents think and what your views are, it's not that stressful because you get to like listen to other people and of course like you can be swayed, but um, but I, it's fun. It's just fun to get other people's input. Um, I love thinking about issues from other people's perspective. Uh, I just find it fascinating. It's part of the reason I do what I do. Um, so it's an, it's an important one. Yeah. Well, how did you get involved in this? Um, I know you're one of the things that uh, attracts me to, to you and, and why I like working with you is because you're one of the few people like me who like you didn't politics wasn't a clear path for you. Right. This wasn't something that you studied to be a politician. You're a, a math teacher. Right. And even that's even true for me becoming a math teacher. Uh, and I think that's kind of a theme in my life. Um, what inspired me, I mean, I'd say I grew up, and this isn't the fault of my parents, I don't think at all, but I grew up believing I was more conservative um, about a lot of things for various reasons. Um, but someone that caught my attention was actually Bernie Sanders as he ran um, in the primary in 2016. And um, a lot of the stuff he was saying made sense to me, like, because I'm generally a very empathetic person and hearing about like all the people that you're going to you know, grow up without health care, like really hit me because when I was in college, I'd say when this started, I had this really weird situation. I had a benign tumor on my finger and um I ended up having to get surgery to have it removed. And I remember going to like premier orthopedics or whatever. And they like, obviously I'm a young college student and they were very concerned when they asked for my insurance card. Cause I'm assuming they knew what it would cost if I didn't have insurance. And I handed over my mom's insurance card who works for the department of defense. I've always had government healthcare um, because of my mom. In fact, I, I'm still on that healthcare for another couple of weeks. Um, but they looked at it and they were like, oh, okay, good. And like, there was that sense of relief. And I just felt just at my core, th there was something wrong with that. Like, just cause I had this card that I got from my mom, this doctor who's giving me medical, medical care that like I needed was like, oh, thank God. Like, that's when I was like, okay, something's not right here. Um, there are some very serious problems that need to be fixed. And I think, you know, a year later, year and a half later, maybe two, Bernie Sanders is out there campaigning for Medicare for all, um, you know, having a actual livable minimum salary. Um, it just all kind of clicked for me that this is the country we needed to go in or sorry, the direction we needed to go in. So since and, Bernie lost, how are you feeling, you know, about the general election? Um, I feel a lot of things <laughs> all at once. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Donald Trump does not have the ability, in my view, to empathize with anyone ever. 
Um, I think that is a deficiency that he has that he should probably, to be honest, get help for. I mean, it's, it's a shame not trying to quote Harry Potter when he's like, you'll never know friendship and I feel bad for you. But in a sense, like there's part of me that does feel that way, but I know that is fundamentally not true about Joe Biden. I know Biden is like a very empathetic guy. Um, I don't agree with him on a lot, but would I rather show up to a protest supporting Medicare for all when Democrats are in charge or when Republicans are in charge? I mean, it's a, it's a very easy question for me to answer. And um, when you, like, so there's like a lot of policy differences I'd say that I have, but when you add that to the easy stuff, like knowing that voting for Joe Biden means that gay marriage can continue, like no brainer, right? Like, so because of those things, I was so excited to vote for Joe Biden and I did vote for Joe Biden and I wanna encourage everyone to vote for Joe Biden. Um, but it, it definitely stings, like I'm not gonna lie. Um, I have like my Bernie sign up on the wall still. Um, and I still believe what I believe, but at the end of the day, like it's a team sport and we all need to play together. And I think progressives in the party can be pretty, pretty rough on the moderates in the party and the moderates on the party can be pretty rough on the progressives. And um, I guess I'm not gonna agree with everyone all the time. And I'm really, I don't think anyone should have heroes that are um, perfect in their own eyes. I think that's something I try to avoid. So like Bernie Sanders is not my hero, but he's pretty close. <laughs> and he's a lot more of my hero than I'd say Joe Biden is. But at the end of the day, you know, if, we, if we're serious about solving climate change, we're a lot better off with a Democrat like Joe Biden than we are with a Republican. It's not even close. Like, I don't even like making that comparison. So yes, it stings, but I'm excited to, to change what's going on in this country for sure. It, uh, it, it reminds me of that, that song, you don't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you get what you need. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know? No, for sure. And, you know, and if I could you know, stay on this topic a little bit more, like, I, I always find it interesting, the people that are like, well, voting third party only, like, doesn't work because people just won't vote third party. And I think that's, like, of course true, right? Like, if a third of the country out of nowhere decided to vote third party, then that would kind of flip America on its head. But I think there's a reason that hasn't happened. And um, I mean, the, the way forward, like the way I think you can get that kind of change to happen is from the bottom up. So the way that we've seen like AOC, AOC primary Democrats and safe districts um, and progressives like her have started to change the conversation quite a bit. Um, and even someone like um, Markey, who was not the most progressive, realizing that there's a lot of power here, you're able to take people that might be a little more moderate than you want and push them to the left um, by going with that bottom-up approach. Um, and I kind of view myself as part of that at a very small and local level, right? Like maybe I'm gonna 
the fact that I exist and I'm an elected official in Chester County might impact the way that a county commissioner would view um, their constituents in Chester County and say like, hey, well maybe, maybe there is a space to be further left in Chester County than I thought. And I think Nidea and I both are um, helping that happen. And I think other elected officials are as well. So I, I do think it ties together quite a bit. And I just wanna be part of that admittedly small pressure, but it exists nonetheless um, to help push things more progressive locally, especially in a place like Chester County. So what would you say to other young people who are interested in getting into politics, getting into a position like you're in, uh, what would you recommend to them? I mean, just do it. I mean, that's kind of like simplistic, but to be honest, that's all I did. I ran unopposed. I found a seat that, I mean, I was lucky, I guess. I mean, I found a seat that, like I talked to my councilwoman, Diane LeBold, and was like, hey, I'm interested in this. And then when it came time for her term to be up, she asked around and I was like the only person that agreed to do it. So it might be a lot easier than you think to get involved, um, but that's not always the case, right? Like you might be somewhere where you need to unseat somebody. And as a young person, that's gonna be difficult and people are gonna give you a bunch of crap. And I think, it doesn't mean that you should just have this like crazy approach and just ram yourself down people's throats. Like there's definitely, there's a way to work with people, right? Like don't come in and flip the tables right away. But um, <laughs> I'd say you gotta just go for it, right? Like, and look for ways in, right? There are one thing, I forget who it was that said it to me, but with political work, there's not enough people to share the load. Like there's just not, there's more work than there are people to do that work. So if you show up and you're willing to do work, you will have something to do. Um, I've definitely found that true because um, I had a problem for a while where, where I was saying yes to too many things. And all of a sudden I found I had all these like responsibilities that um, I slowly realized I wasn't able to deal with all of them. So, you know, I had to step down from this is when I was like as the secretary of the county party. I realized that as council was approaching, I was not going to be able to do it all and do a good job everywhere. So I guess that's what I would say is if you wanna get involved, find some work that needs to be done and start doing it and make friends with the people around you. Um, you're always gonna be the youngest person in the room, almost always. You're gonna be around a lot of gray hair um, and just get used to that. And if you're willing to listen, they might start to like you. Um, and maybe, maybe. And you know, you might not always agree with them, and they might not always agree with you. But you're one person in the organization, and they're one person in the organization, and they're going to try to make you feel less than that sometimes not all of them but some of them will try to make you feel less than that sometimes and you just say no you just don't take it and you just do the work and that's definitely what i would say so you've been doing it for a year um what would you say are the things you are most proud of in this last year and maybe things missed opportunities or things you wish could have gone differently 
Well, I'd say the most tangible thing, I mean, the way I kind of weigh things is how, like, how did something I did improve someone else's life? Because that's why I do this. Um, so I'd say like the most tangible thing that I did was when COVID hit, our borough manager laid off like dozens of people in, um, in the borough. And that meant that they were now without health care. And they were being told like, oh, well, you're going to get the benefits under the CARES Act. And you can use that to like buy insurance through COBRA at like the, this like insurance marketplace where you can find fair insurance. Like, I think <laughs> it's BS, like, come on. <laughs> like healthcare, like the healthcare marketplace is a terrifying place and I don't wish that on anyone. So I um, was on the phone a lot uh, when this happened and I was trying to get support and was talking to people with the union um, at the borough and um, talked to some constituents, got people involved, and we were able to um, put up a vote to um, change the layoffs into furloughs. So they were still on our books at the borough. And what that meant was that we were still paying um, our end of our healthcare benefits. Now, I tried to make it so that we were um, also paying their employee side premiums as well. And I got accused of being Bernie Sanders <laughs> for that. But um, so not a bad it, thing to be accused of. I didn't get to go that far. Right. But I, I knew I wasn't going to get that. Right. I mean, come on. So I but I felt like I went in that hard knowing that they'd compromise in a place that I was comfortable with. So that I'd say is something that worked out really well. It worked out exactly how I wanted it to. Um, bunch of people got to stay on their health care. And a lot of them, thankfully, are back to work now. Um, so I, I would definitely say that's what I'm the most proud of is because I know there were some families that were really stressed that um, were no longer stressed. So yeah, I'm definitely really pleased with that. Um, I'd say that's probably my number one right now. And what, are, what is something you'd like to see changed or something that maybe isn't going the way you'd like it to go? Yeah, so I'm... One thing that really concerns me quite a bit in the east end of town, which if you're listening and you don't know what that is, that's Westchester's historic black community, um, is around the Melton Center. Uh, it's a beautiful neighborhood that people with money, I should say developers with money, um, don't really care about that history and have, um, yes, yeah, like buildings have been torn down that shouldn't be um, row homes have been torn down and rebuilt into these like insane luxury townhomes. I toured one of them just for fun and it was insane. Like it was unreal. Um, but I'd say the worst defense in the East End are the homes that just don't fit the neighborhood at all, um, cost a ton of money. And they, the way they like did the roads, it didn't match. The addresses are all weird. And it just like, it doesn't sit well with me that this like beautiful historic community is just kind of being built up the way it's being built up. And um, I'm trying my best 
to get some kind of um, organization formed or ordinance passed that would give us a little more power on council as to what can be demolished and what things have to look like when they're built on the East End. And it's a really delicate balance because if you, so if you look at Harb, for example, in the center of town. What's Harb? The, or it's our like historic district in the center of town. There's like tons of like rules and regulations about what you have, like what you can put up and what you can't put up. Like if you're gonna change a sign, that all goes through this committee that then makes a recommendation to council and then council can say no. And I mean, I have neighbors who are really, really good at historic renovations and have like, they bought a home and they, they've made it absolutely beautiful. It looks like it would have like 100, 150 years ago. It's awesome. It costs a lot of money to do something like that. Not everyone can do that. Like if you, like if it's the third generation, if you're a third generation homeowner, you have grandma's house, you probably have some foundation issues to deal with because of like Goose Creek over there. Um, there's a lot of stuff that costs a lot of money to do. And if we pass some legislation that's like, oh, well, you have to restore your home in this way and it's expensive then that's going to push out a lot of homeowners there that have been there for generations. So you have to be careful about that. Um, so I'm definitely like trying not to um, get anyone into that situation. But at the same time, I want to make it so that a developer can't come in, just trash a whole block and build something that's going to last like 75 years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, and can't like subdivide the roads in a way that doesn't match the neighborhood. And then also there's so many like, there's, we have like the Magnolia House, the Mountain Center, um, like a lot of historic churches. There's so many locations there that should not be torn down under any circumstances. So it's like trying to recognize those historic areas. Um, I have like a whole presentation from Miss Penny, who you know um, in the community. And she does a great job listing out all those places that like absolutely need to stay. Um, I was terrified when I thought like, um, the star social I thought was going down at one point and that mm -hmm. terrified me, but it looks like they're just renovating. We're at the mercy of developers over there in a big way. And I kind of want to set up some guardrails just to make sure that the community's fine. Um, and even to the extent that like really like unaffordable housing goes in over there, that's going to be bad news for the community and for the center as well. So just trying to like strike that balance in the borough, I think is really, really important because obviously there's a lot of money to be made with any square foot of land that exists in the borough. So it's just trying to, trying to guide that development um, the best we can. And then that kind of ties into the gay market corridor, which is where like Dunkin' Donuts, all that fun stuff is, um, that I'm pretty passionate about that too. But um, yeah, so that's the thing that I haven't really been able to get done. I've had some really good conversations about it um, with several people and I'm closer than I was when I got elected, but it's still something that I'm working on. Um, and it's kind of like the earliest priority for me because if something gets built, it's permanent, you know? Absolutely. So I don't, that's something like, if I can get that done early, that'd be great. But working through the pandemic has been <laughs> overwhelming enough. So hopefully we can get to that.
Well, uh, that brings us to the end of the interview. Now, you're not running for anything, actually. You're not running for any elections this year. But um, we like to do a candidate spotlight. Is there any candidates you want to give a shout out to? Well, I'm especially proud of Diane Heron. Um, working with her as the mayor has been really helpful. And um, she doesn't have silver hair, but she's older than I am. And I will say that if you're a young person going into politics, you need to find somebody that is going to mentor you and is going to give you strong, solid advice and someone who shares as many of your principles as you can find. And I'd say that she is that person for me. Um, And I've always been able to like run ideas by her. And she has a really good understanding of like the community and like how the community might react to something that I'm interested in. Um, and has been really helpful with that. And um, I really, really hope that she can advance, I guess, up into, it's just different. I, I don't even really see it as up. I more see it as over. Um, but to become a state rep and to work at the state level would be huge. And I think she, in the state level, has the guts to bring up a lot of issues that I think need to be raised. Um, in the state of Pennsylvania. She's not timid. (laughs) I'll put it that way. So she's not going to shy away from those battles. And that's exactly what I want to see in the state house. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, People listening to the show know I'm a big fan of Diane Heron. I go back with her, you know, about, about four years. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, she, I I, I echo all of your sentiments. She's fantastic. And if you want to make a donation to her campaign, we'll have a link in the description. So uh, you can follow that, make a donation to her campaign, help her, you know, even though the, the election is only a little bit away, you know, we're, we're getting down to the wire, every little bit helps. Sure. So uh, if Nick, if people want to follow you, you have uh, some social media, right? If they want to find you, how, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Let me see. It's actually facebook.com slash friends of Nick Allen is the URL. Um, but if you just search Nick Allen, Westchester Borough Council in Facebook, you'll find me. It's Ward 2. Um, So I'm there. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you for all the work you do. And uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Yeah, you too, Kyle. Thanks so much. See you. Ah, I have so much to learn, to learn from Nick. I love hearing like the, the journey of other electeds. Um, It it feels so, so good and so supported. And yeah, that was great. Yeah. Nick is i I've gotten to know Nick. Uh, over, you know, he also started right around the same time as I did. Um, and he is just, I don't know, uh, if we had more people like you and Nick out there, um, you know, running things, I think our world would be in a much better place. And that's where it comes to you because Nidia and I, we put in a lot of work, but at the end of the day, we each just have one vote, just like you. Mm -hmm. And so we need your help because tomorrow is, and, and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, it is the largest election of our lifetime. And, and it has nothing to do with Donald Trump or Joe Biden. This is the year our generation has the largest amount of votes. It, this is the year our generation gets the chance to make the statement of the country we want to live in. I totally understand what it means to be disenfranchised in this country. I totally understand what it means to feel like what the hell uh, is this, does this mean to me? 
Um, I don't want to be dismissive of any of, of that because I'm sure that people have been dismissive of that this whole election. And that's not how you turn people out. I just really want you to think about um, what it is that has been, that could have been different over the last four years. And um, if there's something that compels you to get, go down to your polling place um, and vote, think about that thing and then, and then cast, cast your ballot. And then also find out who your local organizations are, your local people advocating for that specific thing, build relationships with them and make sure that the president that you just voted for makes moves and concessions around that area. Because that's the way that you make this thing work for you. You know, you get with other people and you demand that it does. So happy election day. Yeah, uh, real quick, one last point of uh, information. When are the polls open? The polls are open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. So, yeah, and if you're in line at 8 p.m., as long as you're in line, you can vote. Um, very, very important uh, to know mm -hmm. that. So, uh, in closing, I just wanted to thank you, Nidea, for doing this project with me. It's yeah. been great to know you this year. I mean, I only met you. I mean, it feels like I've known you so long, but I've only met yeah. you like months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I have. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and, and everybody. And I, I just, you know, like you said, no matter what, no matter what happens tomorrow, I think we're gonna be okay. Um, mm -hmm. As long as, as long as you know, we all do our part, you know, it's just the presidential election. Yep. It is. Yeah, we're going to be okay. We totally so, will. Thank you, Nidea. Uh, thank you, those of us that are thank tuning you. in. And I guess we'll see you on the other side. Woo! We did it, guys.